Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozlov. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. We started this new series of messages called Identity, Intimacy, and Destiny, and Neil launched us last week. Uh, I forgot my ice-breaking joke. Just kidding. Here it is. Hi. Uh, I'm trying to be as, as bad as Neil, okay? Dad's joke, now he got to the new level of granddad's jokes. Okay, one time I, I lost my wallet and my identity was stolen. On the brighter side, in two weeks, I got it back in the mail with a note that said, it sucks to be you. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, is it was Neil League? Am I out of his league? Okay, okay, okay. I want to talk today about identity. These three things are super important and they're interrelated because identity basically answers you remember last week, Neil talked about worldview. Worldview is, a, is something like a very comfortable glasses that you wear and you're not aware that you wear them. So you see through them, you see things, but you don't see glasses sometimes. An enemy of God wants to put a glasses on you that are very comfortable and not noticeable. And you begin to see the world through those glasses and they twist the reality. They put limits on your life and they le don't let you enter into the fullness of what God has for you. So identity is a very important part of your worldview. It's, it's basically an answer to a question, what do you believe about yourself? Just like with the worldview, a lot of things in your worldview was formed and shaped without you being aware of that. So you're oblivious of what you believe. You know, you can live an unexamined life. You can live automatically in certain areas of your life. So Unfortunately, so if you're a Christian, you really need to do some work to examine what is it that you believe about yourself. Because why is it important? It's it, it important because it, 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 as I said, it puts limits on your life. It prevents you from entering into the fullness of God. It, it determines the trajectory of your life. It, 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 pro, it makes you prone to certain decisions that would set you on a certain course in your life. Does this make sense what I'm saying so far? Okay, here's the worst thing about some of those beliefs that you have about you and you might not be aware of are false. They begin to shape and form false identity. False identity. So you're not really fully yourself sometimes. You find yourself in certain situations when you react weird and you know it. And you're puzzled by it. And you come back from that meeting or whatever happened and you think, what was that? It wasn't even me. That, my friend, is a false identity in operation in your life. So here are some of the, some of the indicators uh, that you might be partially living in this full identity. I, I'm going to ask you some questions. Don't answer out loud. But... You, you can see if they relate to you. And there are just some of them. For example, do you find yourself uncomfortable, timid, or shy in the presence of important people? If you do, that's a sign. Do you feel powerless on a regular basis? Like 
there's nothing I can do about anything anymore. You have no influence, you have no power. That's a sign. Do you, listen to that. Do you get angry at yourself once in a while? To an extent that you actually call yourself names like stupid or dumb or whatever. That's a sign that you're operating out of false identity that has been deeply seated in your subconscious. Do you, do you find hard times? Uh, do you find it really difficult sometimes to look into a person's eye when they talk to you? That's the weirdest thing. I, I discovered it myself about 15 years ago. I, I, like sometimes I'll be fine and sometimes I would talk to someone and I would just have a hard time keep my gaze on their eyes. I would just like go like this. That's a false identity in operation. And you don't even know it sometimes. Do you find it really difficult to receive constructive criticism and almost always become defensive? That's a false identity in operation. Do you sometimes feel guilty and you don't really know, you can't put your finger what exactly you're guilty of? That's a false idea. Well, enough. If you found a lot of them in your life, don't be discouraged. Don't, don't fret. That's actually most people operate out of false identity that has been sown by the devil. So today, today, my goal is to give you a tool. Most of the work you'll have to do it yourself. I cannot do it as a preacher. No preacher can set you free from false identity issue. It's your work. You have to work on it. All I can do, I can give you a tool. And hopefully today I'm going to give you an effective tool to expose lies of the enemy in your life. Tear them down and replace them with the truth of God. All right? I'm glad you said amen to that. So to do that, we'll go to the very beginning. And the very beginning, you know, like people would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, how about this? How about that? Pressing issues of the day. And he would say, yes, that's what you experienced. But in the beginning, it wasn't so. Let me tell you something. All these all false identity things, negative things that you experience in your life, in the beginning, it wasn't so. Let us turn to the beginning to see what it was like. So we'll start with the book of Genesis. Genesis 1, beginning from verse 26. It's, a, it's an account of the creation of man. Very short, but full of insights. <clears throat> it's not a fairy tale. It's actually a description of what's happening in your life. So be very, pay attention, please. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish I'll read it from the screen because this is ESV, I have NIV, but it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll read the NIV, you follow on the screen. Uh, and let them have dominion over the fish. Now, I'll start from the beginning because it's important. Then God said, let us make man, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful. And multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the, and over everything, living thing that moves on the earth. So this is a very short account. 
And we immediately see three important things in this account. Well, first of all, if you read first chapter and the second chapter about the creation of human, uh, human mankind, you will see that we were created in a very different way. Everything was created by the word. Let it be, boom, it became. With, with, with man, when it comes to men, we can actually see some kind of a counsel. God says, let us create man like us. So some kind of plural us. That's Trinity. Most Christian theologians believe it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit say, hey, we have fun here, but how about we extend it? How about we extend the family? How about we bring someone else to enjoy this wonderful, rich participation of love and life? And Yeah, let's do that. Let's create man. And according to our image and likeness. So image and likeness, volumes were dedicated to this thing. What is it? Image and likeness of God. I'm, I'm not going to go to all the theories and all the things. I'll just tell you that an image of God means, listen to that, that you were made to be recognized as a visible representation of God on this earth. You say, me? Yes, you. You look at the mirror and say, me? Visible representation of God? Yes, I say, yeah, you. Do you know that God for this creation looks like blue with all this, his curly hair? Yeah, beautiful. You know, like God looks like me with my like dog's eyes, sad looking for food, you know. <laughs> you are created in the image of God to be God's visible representation on this earth. And to be in the likeness of God, that means you're like God. You, you are carrier of God's character. You're, you're a carrier. You're created to express of who God is. So listen to that. This creation cannot experience God except through you. You know, you look for answers from God. This creation, it says, it looks for answers from you. Any kind of problem that happens in this world is actually your responsibility to respond to. Your and mine. You know, this community have a lot of problems, drugs, sex trafficking, whatever. You know, you and I are to respond to that. You know, we are created in the image and likeness of God, to be God representative, to be God expression, to be recognized as a visible representation of God. And we are given a dominion. That's, I'm talking about the original purposes of God in the beginning. How it was in the beginning. Dominion. What is dominion? It's authority. What is authority? It's, it's ability to keep things in order. To put things in order. To cut anything that doesn't belong to this order. That's you and me. That's original identity that we were given to. And it, 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 these things are all, you know, identity, intimacy, destiny. You see, and... In chapter 2, God shows how he creates human beings. He makes him, he forms him, he shapes him. And then he breathes his breath into his nostrils. How more intimate can you get than that? It, it reminds me immediately of a mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. You know, you just, you got to be so close. So, men were created to be like God. To experience God closeness to God to the extent that you can actually register his breath in you 
And with that, you go into this world and carry out, realize perfect will of God. Put things in order, in the divine order. That's our original identity, right? But then something horrible happened that we inherited. The, the scholars call it the fall, the story of fall. Also found in the book of Genesis. We're going to read it. And I want you to really focus on this part today. You know why? Because unfortunately, I just described to you the initial idea for you that God had. You didn't inherit that. You inherited something else. You inherited something twisted, something fallen, something broken, something somewhat dysfunctional. We, today, we see bits and pieces of this original identity of human beings in this world. We do not see the fullness. Actually, it says that the creation is groaning, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. So creation is like, ah, when? When will finally Lou shine with his glory in Springfield? Fully. I mean, he does those little glimpses every once in a while. I want more. A little dog that runs away, a stray dog that's beaten. He goes, Lou, how long? Seriously, I, I drive by some cats and dogs and I say, sorry, Ken, I'm not fully glorified yet. I'm sorry, dog. Just wait, just wait. You'll see. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. Okay, so the fall, something that happened that changed this wonderful, beautiful picture in the same book. So we'll read it, chapter uh, 3 of the book of Genesis, verses from 1 to 8. Now, you all know this story, but it's important to pay attention like you've never heard it before. So listen. Now this serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree that is in the midst of the garden. <clears throat> Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's the story. We all heard it. I really want you to see something very important in this account. I want you to see the tactics that the enemy used back then because that's exactly the tactics he's using in your life today. Paul said, for we are not unaware of enemy's schemes or plots. You need to be fully aware what is the tactics that he applies to your life because if you're not aware, he's going to be successful in those. First, he told Adam and Eve that he's, and he's telling you the same thing, that God is holding out on you. 
There's something that you're missing, something good that you're missing in your life. There's something that you're missing, and the main reason you're missing this good thing in your life is God himself. You know what it is? It's, it's a goodness of God under attack. The goodness of God is not really good. MJ, you know, <laughs> you know, you think God is good. He is good. He might be good. good he's good is like theological category but to you personally he's not that good because there is something more that you could have but you don't have because that's God he doesn't want you to have it do you see what he's doing there do you see I hope you see he's leading you to reason and question the goodness of God he starts this theological conversations by the way be aware of theologians Satan was the first theologian he loves to talk about God. You go to YouTube today and you find this gazillions of very popular channels with stern-looking preachers who explain to you everything and put all of your theological ducks in a row, but you never get to experience that God is a good father. Be aware of that, okay? You know, Satan is the first theologian. So what he does, he gradually changes the picture of their reality. He makes them believe that there is something good that you don't have because of who God is. So the first thing he tells them is that God is not really good. God is not really that kind. He doesn't really love you. He's a source. And that's, my friend, I, I want you to really understand that this is the source the very source of your false identity it doesn't really matter what shame or form your false identity take it flows out of this lie that God is not really good do you see that all right second thing he convinces them that they don't have something that they actually have did you notice that we just discussed that they're created in the image of God and in the likeness of God, <laughs> and they have the breath of God in them, and God says, hey, you know, it'd be cool if you'd be like God. He said, really? Yeah, it'd be so good for you. Really? Why don't we have it? Because God doesn't want you to have Do you see what's happening there? Like millions of Christians live in like tremendous spiritual poverty because they don't believe that God has given them so much in Christ. It says that one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us things that are given to us, already given to us in Christ Jesus. Remember last series we've been talking about appropriation of what, has, of what God has already done for us in Christ. So we don't appropriate because we don't believe that we have something good. We actually believe we don't have it. So that's the second thing the devil does to you. He says, hey, you don't have it. You don't get it. You don't have it. So, but it all starts, and I want to stress it over and over again. It all starts with the original lie. God is not good. And I want, I want you, to, I, I will try my best to, to really stress it today. That's a fundamental lie of the enemy that gives birth to all possible versions of false identity that people adopt. That's the message that the enemy is preaching throughout the centuries. God is not good. Look at this. Look at that. Look at the suffering of a child. Look at this. How could that happen to him? This guy went bankrupt. He's been given to church all his, all his life. God is not good. That's a whisper. That's a cry. That's a yelling. That's a proclamation of devil and millions of voices. So... 
you're bombarded by those. If you don't begin to listen to a different message, you will buy into that. And if you buy into that, you will believe it. And if you believe it, you will not have true identity in Christ. You will not have intimate relationship with God because you can't trust someone who is not good to you. And you won't have this authority to fulfill God's destiny for you. You will live a small, mediocre life with a small, mediocre problems. And that is far from what God wants for you. So you need to establish this firmly in your life that God is good. Not just good as a theological abstract quality, but He's good to you personally, for real. And I want you to understand there is an important principle in the New Testament. Do we have the scripture? Did I give you the scripture? Matthew 7, 11? No. Okay, I'll just read it to you. Sorry, I, I, I didn't uh, submit that scripture to our media people. But I'll read it to you. There is an important principle in the New Testament that reveals to us who God is to us. And this principle is found in this verse. Matthew 7, 11. If you take notes, you, you might want to write this down. Matthew 7, 11, he says, Jesus speaking, he says, If you then who are evil know how to give good things, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you then who are evil know, you know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things? How much more will your Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? In 1992, there was an Olympic Games that took place in Barcelona, Spain. And there was a sprinter. His name, I believe, was Derek Redmond from Great Britain. And they were running, I believe it was like semifinals, 400-meter race. In the middle of the race, and this guy was a very promising athlete. In the middle of this race, all eyes on them. This guy, something horrible happens to him. He collapses right in the middle of his running. He collapsed, and he tries to come up, and he can't even walk. And you can see, like, excruciating pain on his face. And something horrible happened to his leg. And later, they learned that he totally tore his uh, hamstring. It was gone. And he tried, and he tried to get up and run, but he can't even put his foot down. He couldn't even take a step. So he kind of tries to hobble, and he's in pain. And they have those zoom-in cameras, and you can see his pain. He's, he's, ah, he's crying. He's in agony. But he doesn't give up. People run with the stretchers to him. And he says, no, no. And he still tries to move towards the finish line. And like... Everybody goes, what's going on? And then a man runs from the audience and he pushes away the security. He pushes away the, the sport personnel and he pushes away the camera guys and he comes to Derek and he grabs him and he puts his shoulder on his arm on the side that was injured and he begins to walk. He begins to walk. Of course, they were like far behind. This is a sprinting we're talking about. And he begins to walk. And some people start coming and trying to talk to him. And he just go, go, go. And he just walks. And this guy's crying. This, this, this guy who came to him was his father. That was his father, Jim Redmond. And they just walk. I mean, I'm glad I'm not crying right now. For a week, every time I try to share this story, 
<laughs> I started crying because this is the father. <laughs> Listen to that. If stories like that touch you, and there are stories like that, many, many stories like that. This man is being evil, knows how to give good things. And by the end, of course, everybody forgot about the winner. Everybody was giving a standing ovation. Standing ovation. Listen to that. If you're being evil, know how to give good things to your children. If Jim Redmond, being evil, he's a sinful man. He's like, he knows, he knows what it means to love his child. They walked to the very end. If you, being evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more your heavenly father, how much more, how much more, how much more your father loves you. You might never have a good father. I don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My wife talked to me. She said, like, she, ha she has a horrible childhood story. Her father spent most of his years in prison. She doesn't even have a frame of reference. I never met my dad. But I said, don't worry. Look around. You see those beautiful stories when parents sacrificially give themselves for the good of their children. And that's a pale reflection of what God is to you. If you don't get it, the rest of the Christian walk makes no sense. You can drop it not right now. I pray to God sometimes to give me prophetic insights about people here so that I can encourage them. And God is faithful. He gives me them every once in a while. Here's what he gave me last week. And I, I talked to Jason about it. Jason, our, Jason, our drummer. So I, I, I'm praying, through the week, I'm praying for God to give me like words of encouragement or some visions. And I had this vision. It was like a split-second glimpse, and I just saw that in 3D. Here was Jason, and he was a little kid. And he looked like Penny, but a male, like with his beautiful mane. And he was like little, bold, little dude who was just running to the father. Oh, I pulled the cord. And the father just, he was ecstatic to see him. The father, God, was ecstatic to see him. He dropped everything and he couldn't help himself but smile from ear to ear. That's Abba Daddy. That's Abba Father. That's the, that's the core. That's the foundation of your Christian walk. If you don't get a good, good father who's a daddy to you, you, you ain't got anything in your life. You're poor. But you have it. Don't you ever believe this crappy lie of the devil that you don't have it. James, you have it. You know, God is your daddy. You're his kid. Yes, you, you want to grow and become son and do great exploits for God. But you can't if, you, you, if he's not your daddy. You know, in the 70s, there was an American uh, psychologist. He did a series of experiments on development psychology with infants and mothers. He, would, he enlisted a bunch of mothers with small infants. And he would, uh, one by one, he would put a mother and a child in a room and film them. And he would ask them to do two simple things. One thing, he would ask them for a few minutes just to interact normally and naturally, like mothers do with kids, you know? You know, all these silly things and sounds and points. And, and like, that's exactly what's happening. So kids respond, they get, yeah, ooh, 
they giggle, they, they have fun, they interact with the mother, they have fellowship with their mommy. And then the psychologist asks them, like, at a certain point when I give you a cue, just stop. Stop any expression on your face. Don't frown, don't show anything negative, don't show anything positive. Just become a still face person. So they would do that. As soon as it happens, you know what the baby does? The baby is taken aback, disturbed for a few seconds, and then frantically tries to get mother engaged back into interaction. Whatever tricks he has done at sleeve, the baby, he or she would start doing it, laughing, giggling, like, like powerfully, like, like, and still face. Without an exception, within just a matter of a minute or two, the baby would start crying horribly. And it was proven that the baby is actually hurt by a still-faced mother. So many Christians have an angry-faced God. But most have still-faced God. So many bought the lie that Jesus is a smiling facade of God, an entry point. But as soon as you get in, there is a still-faced God there. That's a lie from the bottom of the hell. That's not God that Jesus brought to reveal. Jesus is offensive to religious people in the New Testament. Read chapter 8 of uh, the Gospel of John. He's just offending them left and right. Not on purpose, but he basically tells them, You call my father God, but you don't know him. Actually, nobody knows him except the son and to whoever the son wants to reveal. You know, as a Christian, you know what you're claiming? You're claiming that you have the same God that Jesus had. As your father, as your daddy, as your Abba. As your Abba. We all had still face God experiences in our lives. And we all got confirmation of the still face God by our negative experience in life. And when it's repeated several times, what happens, you develop a sense, a deep-seated sense of shame. And the sense of shame is something horrible that is not compatible with true identity with true intimacy with God you cannot be intimate with God if you're shame, ashamed of yourself and with true destiny if you are a Christian and you still struggle with shame which is a feeling of being less which is a feeling of not having what it takes you believe a lie that needs to be torn down let's look at what God God's response was to the situation in, in Genesis. Where is that? Genesis 3, verse 7. I'm, I'm going to read something that was already on the screen, but then I'll come to verse uh, 21. So the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. Here it is, nakedness. What is nakedness? It's like being less of what you're supposed to. Having feeling of having not having enough, not have being not dignified, being not presentable, being someone that needs to hide. And they heard the sound, 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And isn't that our life in many ways? You know, that's religion, culture. They, they, all they provide is loincloths. They don't deal with the issue of shame. So God called a man and he said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of your garden, sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So hiding, running away. That's the opposite of being transparent and intimate with someone. Do you know? Right? So listen to God's answer to this. So he has this long conversation with Adam, with Eve, with the serpent. And then it says in verse 21, chapter 3, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Some of you have read this verse and didn't pay any attention. Scholars call it the proto-gospel. Because what happened there is... To make a garments of skin, somebody must have died. A sacrificial enemy was slain for the first time in the history of human race. Someone's blood was shed on behalf of those who tra trespassed and made this sin. And the life of this sacrificial animal was applied to them as a as their new identity. Now, if you look at Adam and Eve, you could see a skin of a lamb that was slain. The skin, it was a prophetic foreshadowing of the time when Jesus would come and restore your initial, original identity. If you believe in the gospel, if you believe what Jesus has done on the cross, you actually believe that you are restored to your original identity when, when you have nothing between you and God. And God has nothing against you. You don't need to hide. You don't need to cover. You don't need to sew uh, loincloths for yourself. You're covered with a garment of skins of the Lamb of God. Does it make sense? All right. I'm glad it does. Okay, so Romans 5, 1, 10, and it's my final verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to that. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope, you know, Biblical hope is a firm expectation. It's not just, oh, maybe it'll happen, maybe it'll not. Firm expectation of the glory of God. Now and in the future. That's not because of you. That's because of what God has done. That's because of what God has done. All right. There's a good song that we sing sometimes. You're good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's basically, if you don't remember my message today, if you forget it five minutes after the service, just remember the song. That's what I tried to convey to you today. He's a good, good father. That's his identity, true identity. And out of this true identity, your true identity flows, which is you're a beloved child of God. Nothing can change it. Nothing can change it. This is the basis 
of anything that you can expect of God in your life. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.